0: namaste i have a very special guest today dr Bhaspati bhattacharya she is right now a, a, a clinical assistant professor of medicine at cornell medical college and she has she's a fulbright specialist in public health has three phds uh, she is a md in modern medicine uh, she has a phd in ayurveda Rashastra, very specialized and a Ph.D. in pharmacology and neuroscience, also a master's in public health. So she's got degrees and degrees and more degrees and lots of accomplishment. I've known her for a very long time. Uh, she's an Ayurvedic practitioner, very rare in the sense that she's also an MD based in India in UDP. So welcome Baspati to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Rajiv.
0: I want to start our conversation by discussing Ayurveda in U.S., And Ayurved in India, obviously now, uh, the Americans are getting interested, even though it's not recognized for insurance purposes, but they're certainly data mining and picking a lot of things out of it. Uh, And then in India, there's the Ayush Ministry. Uh, So give me your thoughts on how you feel about the world of Ayurved in these two countries and what's their relationship and generally, uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think Ayurved is, very well positioned if the people within the subject can actually put it together. In America, we have a huge population of people that want integrative medicine. The law that was passed in 1994 called DISHE is the Dietary Supplements, Health and Education Act, which allows people to get access to products uh, that are basically outside of modern medicine. And among that group of products are the Ayurvedic herbs and formulations. They want those, they are tuning in with their out-of-pocket monies and they're spending billions of dollars for these products. And in America, they want to be able to use them. So if you just look at the demographics, you have over 50 schools of Ayurveda. Some of them are recognized by NAMA, which is the community organization. They call themselves the organization that represents the professionals, but we'll get to that. There's another group called APNA which represents people that are um, professionally trained to do Ayurveda either from India or the US and between um, all the organizations in Canada and the US you have thousands of people either trained as Ayurvedic wellness counselors, Ayurvedic practitioners, Ayurvedic specialists, Ayurvedic doctors And there are patients that are seeing them. Otherwise, obviously they wouldn't be professionals. So that's in the US, but it's not a legal medical system in the sense of mainstream medicine. I'll come back to that in a second because I'm sure we're gonna talk about licensure and all that. In India, you have eight medical systems that are legally recognized, which is fantastic. There are 700,000 or so Ayurvedic doctors in India They are practicing and they are, they have their own really strong community of people. Some of the best physicians in any specialty I have ever met are Ayurvedic physicians who get it, who understand what healing is about. So they have that asset that they have a very good medical system, which is also one of the most ancient on the planet and is the most ancient, continuously practiced system on the planet. So they have that, they have the legal side going for them, and yet if you're a person like me that goes back and forth between India and the US, or like you, I know that it's legally allowed in India, but in India, a person that wants to use Ayurveda can't easily find um, what he or she is looking for if he's a patient, and the physician can't practice his whole scope of what he should be able to do, because allopathic medicine has basically treated them like slaves the way that British treated Indians like slaves 100 years ago. So I see that same war going on right now in India. In America, the patients are the ones that want it. They're willing to spend for it, but it's not a legal medical system. So there's a couple of differences there. There's also education differences, import-export issues because obviously the plants that grow in India have to be exported to America. There's regulatory issues and what we can call um, unfair standards for Ayurveda, uh, import-export. And then there are issues with how Ayurveda is portrayed by the mainstream in both America and in India. So that's a little summary.
0: So is Ayush, doing a good job to address these things and is Ayush authentic? Because I have sat in a few meetings where Ayush wants to, uh, uh, you know, establish Ayurveda by, by uh, convincing Harvard. And of course, Harvard wants to do it on their terms. And I keep telling them you should first do it on, you should first be sure of it and be satisfied and on a secure footing yourself. Harvard will come running to you for, 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 for uh, uh, affiliation. Uh, but there, there is this craving to get this, uh, you know, top part, this pat on the back from, uh, Harvard, Harvard and Americans and spending a lot of money and these ministers coming to various conferences to sort of uh, present Ayurveda in a way that the Westerners would accept it. So all this business about evidence-based and all this business about uh, clinical trials and things like that, they want to fit it into the FDA terminology. What do you think of Ayush approach in general?
1: I think they need to update their data. I've been watching the presentations that Ayush people give um, in America in several conferences. And I was just shocked to see how outdated their own information is. We have so many research papers being done by excellent scholars in India, actual data, and they don't highlight them. It seems like they have this old slideshow that they want to put forth again and again. The latest data from material scientists and chemists on basmas, They are not including them. They talk about it the same way they used to. There was a person that introduced the speaker from Harvard at a recent conference that Harvard is the makkah, the makkah of. uh, And so whatever they say is like gold. And I was thinking, you know, Ayurveda is the gold. The people at Harvard, having lived there and gone to school there and being a, a prominent alum from there, The mainstream does not even believe in Ayurveda. When these Ayush people say that they went to the Harvard conference, let me just tell you the reality, because I lived right there on the campus. There is the Harvard Medical School down the street. And you know this, you go to a conference center that was built and anyone can rent the conference center. Basically, they rented the conference center so they could be on the Harvard campus. And they invited a few people from Harvard. And then they said, Harvard's holding this conference. It was not a Harvard held conference. It was rented from Harvard and a group of people in Boston, none of whom is actually a Harvard graduate or Harvard professor or Harvard staff or Harvard laboratory person, they rented the space. And when I asked them, well, why are you calling this a Harvard conference? Because it's being done at Harvard. When I talked to the Harvard professor who was ceremoniously invited, He said, yes, yes, this is how we start, this is how things begin. So a couple of the physicians that were very keen to get MOUs signed did that. There is an MOU that is factual, but what have they actually done in the year since the memo was signed? Why is there less of an interest in actual science of Ayurveda and more in the ceremonies and the various, boasting?
0: You raised a lot of things I want to touch upon. Firstly, the term Harvard is the Makkah. Uh, I think the people of Mecca would find it insulting if you told them that now Harvard has become the Mecca. Uh, so, I think that uh, before they say Harvard is the Makkah, they should go and get themselves certified from the people in Makkah as to whether Makkah wants to affiliate with Harvard as a branch office or as a as an uh, you know because that's a bogus uh, term. The point I'm making is why do we have to go and get certified by other people uh, uh, in, in this? Whether it's Makkah, whether it's Harvard or whatever. Uh, and your, business, your observation is very generally correct, not just for Ayurveda, I've seen that people want affiliation with a name and they will rent a, a, a building and rent a conference room which is nearby and call it the Oxford conference. Like there is this Oxford center for Hindu studies, which is in the town of Oxford outside the campus. Uh, uh, One enterprising ex-ISCON person started this in order to be able to say I got this uh, Oxford Center. So there is uh, this Princeton Theological Center which people think is related to Princeton University. It's in the town of Princeton. It's like I, I'm also living in the town of Princeton. And, and you know, so people use these gimmicks because for them it's very important. And so what they're really interested in is these government people, they want a ticket, they want to fly there, they want to have a good hoopla and get a lot of uh, photo ops and have a tamasha.
1: But I want to insert something because I am one of those people that does have many of the degrees from those brand name places. And you've known me since before I had any degrees, you know, at that time, I was basically my father and my mother's daughter. That was my only affiliation. And well, and I went to Princeton High School. So I guess that was something, but I really feel that people look for validation from the gold standard and if you tell me that the gold standard is gold then if i wear gold then that means that i'm more golden because i'm wearing more gold and so harvard happens to be that gold standard that we all look to why did i go to harvard because i wanted people i'm always going to be brown i'm always going to be a woman and i'm indian and so if i went to harvard that makes me more intelligent that makes me more (laughs) capable, more worthy, apparently it gives me more ethics, right, because I've been trained at a better place, which was actually true many years ago, until all of these scandals started happening, like at the New England Journal of Medicine, where you can't trust that people's ethics are actually sound anymore, the way that the, you know, the standard was before. So to be fair, they are really trying to set a standard. And they're saying that if the gold standard accepts us, we get to be You know, acknowledged. It's the same thing with this person that went to get the Oxford English Dictionary done. The people at Oxford didn't do it. He was an outsider that came in and used Oxford's name and got himself appointed so that his work, which was a seminal work, could be acknowledged by the people in charge. And that's why people want Harvard's name or Cornell's name or Princeton's name or any of the other. You know brand names. That's why I went to BHU when I was in India and not to another school because everyone knows Banaras in the University.
0: So Mahasmati this is very important, this is a very important point you made. Uh, the, the lure of brand name is a practical requir- requirement. That's the world we live in. Uh, now the New England Journal of Medicine and a few other journals have committed uh, something that you consider to be not Uh, up to the ethical standards. Can you tell the viewers what exactly has gone wrong with this business about, uh, you know, evidence based and all that? What are some of the scandals? Tell us that.
1: So a couple of weeks ago, there was an article that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, another one in the Lancet. These are all journals it's very tough to get something published in because they have a very high standard for the writing style they have a very high standard for the level of data that need to be presented and it's peer reviewed which means that some of the best authorities in your subject they're going to look over your submission and they're going to decide whether or not you get to publish in that journal so their articles were published they were peer reviewed and then later it was discovered that the data that they were putting into their tables and columns didn't make sense for the people. For example, the Australian data, the number of deaths that they claimed didn't make sense to the authorities in Australia. So they started questioning the data and question after question arose and it led back to a guy in Chicago who had two colleagues, one at Harvard, one at another place. Uh, Actually there were five in total Three of them were Indian. Those articles were forced to be retracted because the data did not appear to be truthful. They asked the people, can you substantiate your data? And those people refused using confidentiality as their excuse. Now there is something ethical about keeping data confidential. We all know that. If I have a patient, I'm not gonna reveal his or her name but when you have aggregate data and you don't want to tell where it comes from because it comes from a hospital or from a medical center um it implies that there's something else going on under the table because those hospitals in australia for example who were questioned said they'd never even heard of the group that had collected the data so was there another middleman what was going on and so with all of these questions they withdrew the data why is this important because When you talk about the ethics of how we think science is being done, what we call evidence-based medicine, we want to believe that there's real evidence. And we have seen many, many times that we don't really talk about and that the news is not encouraged to write about. We've seen many times where studies are not really up to the mark and they're given a huge amount of press or they're really good and they're submerged or kind of ignored. In this case, the data were retracted. You have two leading journals who retracted huge studies saying that there's no basis um, for for the evidence that they you know, couldn't substantiate. So what does it mean? It obviously had effects for Corona because the articles were about hydroxychloroquine, Donald Trump's favorite drug that he now has learned to pronounce. And they have really, uh made the scientific community pause about whether or not the peer review system that we hold so high as the gold standard what does it mean one of the reasons you want to go to a place like harvard and put up with all the politics and be on faculty there is because you get to be a reviewer at those kind of journals you get opportunities to speak and to be a voice of authority but if your voice of authority As a peer reviewer is such that you allowed this article to be published what does it say about you what does it say about your level of ethics and there we get into this very difficult uh snowball of where did you develop your ethics and i really think about this because i have a lot of friends in ayurveda i have a lot of friends in modern medicine and some are colleagues only, some are colleagues and friends, and some are only friends. And so I get to hear stories at different levels and I get to witness what's going on. And I will say that it's not that one group has really good data and is very ethical and the other group is completely not. Both sides have people who falsify data. I've seen it with my own eyes at, uh, my, during my studies, during my PhD. I've also seen it when I was doing my PhD, my MD in America. How do we validate evidence-based medicine when we don't even have a and balances on that evidence? So,
0: Bhaswati, there's two issues. One is false data gets validated uh, unethically and things, theories get established which shouldn't. But there's a second point you touched on a little bit, which is good stuff gets suppressed. Now, that to me is a very serious matter that to me. So is there politics? Is there money? Is there ideological bias? Why would somebody suppress a valid study of someone else? Who is their peer?
1: So if I don't want you to move ahead, it can be something as simple as a school rivalry. I go to Princeton, you go to Harvard. I don't want your study to, you know, be prominent because then you'll get the whatever prize is up, you know, for for grabs, I don't want you to get that recognition. So it can be as small as that, but it's more sinister than that. There is money involved. There are pharmaceutical companies that want their drug to be sold because it not only be sold, but if it can get taken up by a big hospital system and they can get a huge number of people to prescribe it, they are guaranteeing an income for years. I mean, we you know, we know what the examples are, Viagra, Viox, which was taken off the market, AZT, those companies, Zoloft, Paxil, I can name a hundred drugs that cornered the market and uh, really they were in it for the profit because that's how corporations are set up, right? That's their obligation to their stockholders. However, in this case, it's not about just selling a can of Pepsi or an iPhone. This is about people's health. And so there we go down the slippery slope of ethics and what happens when people are suppressing good studies. There are medical systems that have been shown on some basic level to work, and those studies do not get shared. Homeopathy clinically works. There was a scientist physician named Jennifer Jacobs who did so much work. She's still around, but she did some really great studies showing how homeopathy really works well in children. It doesn't have the side effects that modern medicine does. It doesn't have drug-drug interactions the way that modern medicine does. And yet, if you see where homeopathy is standing today, people don't give it credibility unless they have already been using it for generations. The same thing with herbal medicines. You go to Ayurveda, there are so many therapies, and I'm just gonna say this because now I'm you know qualified to, When I see the kinds of diseases that were considered incurable by my training at some of the best institutions in America, therefore in the world, I was told certain things are incurable. I watched my family members. I watched my patients stay sick, sometimes die of those diseases. And then I was asked to do a film for the Discovery Channel. And I got to survey Ayurveda in India. I flew here for six weeks. We did the filming. And I started watching what was actually happening happening in the hospitals when I was a pure allopath just learning about Ayurveda. And I saw things being cured that are so good for people to have as a solution that I never saw in modern medicine. And to me, that's enough. Someone should be studying this just based on that. That was the premise by which the Office of Alternative Medicine, which is now called the Office Sorry, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health at the NIH. The basis for that was that someone witnessed a cure that wasn't in modern medicine. So if I have someone that's sick and I know that panchakarma is going to help them the way that it does for rheumatoid arthritis, which is really considered to be a, a very devastating disease in the U.S., most kinds of cancer. One of the reasons I'm here in Italy is that I have found A handful of doctors who are very humble, they don't need to be seen, they don't need to be on CNN or get a prize. Their prize is that they get cases of cancer and they treat them. And I've come to study with them because I am fascinated by how they have such goodness in the medicines. Why can't that be available for more people that suffer and die of diseases? We know a little bit more in science, step by step, and we're getting there, but it's taking decades. Meanwhile, you go to the pre-scientific knowledge of 5,000 years ago in Ayurveda written in this beautiful language of Sanskrit available for anyone. It's already published that says use these medicines, use these spices, use these sequences, and you can heal almost any gut disease. And I do that in my practice and they are really great solutions. So how do I ignore that? How do I put that away once I've seen it? How do I cover Pandora's box again and say, let's just do modern medicine?
0: Very good. So I want viewers to know that what Bhasmati is doing is uncovering the complex politics of uh, Ayurveda in US, in India, US versus India, Harvard. Uh, the, the prestigious journals, the drug companies. It's a very long story, and she's trying to just get, give you the the essence of it. So this is this is a very important uh, topic that we've uh, covered, uh, Baswati, and uh, we'll come back uh, with another episode next time.